0: Oh Lord our God, we praise you this day for your word, and we thank you for the gift of your word, and we acknowledge that we love you and your word, and we ask, Father, that your word would not be made void. You promised that your word would not return to you void, but that it would accomplish the purpose that you had for it, and we ask now that your word would be made sure into our hearts Please give me the grace I need, Lord, as I preach, and give my brothers and sisters the grace they need as they listen, and allow us all to heed your great and powerful word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, last week, as we continued with the Sermon on the Mount, we saw that Jesus doesn't want, yet again, he doesn't want a formal, only type of religion. He wants a religion of the heart. and just by way of review, last week he pointed out that we're not to do our charitable deeds, our almsgiving, our tithes, in front of men, simply to be seen by men. I think I mentioned to you that I had a friend of mine who was a Chinese, he was a native Chinese, and he said, we don't really have a problem in the Chinese church. He said, well, we have problems, you know, we're persecuted, but we don't have a problem with people not giving. He said, because what we do, <laughs> he said, we post it the next, the next week. We post what every family has given. And he said that way the people are shamed says, Well, if we were to do that in the United States, we would probably get sued because we'd be violating people's privacy. He says, well, yeah, but uh, you don't have the government breathing down your neck either, so um, we we would gladly exchange places with you if we could exchange problems as well. But Jesus doesn't want us to do our charitable deeds. He doesn't want us to flaunt our giving just so that we will be seen by men. And he also made the same mention about prayer, that we are not to pray just to be seen by men. The Pharisees had this annoying habit of saying these long prayers on the corners and announcing things with trumpets just to be seen by men. And Jesus makes this great claim, they have received the reward. If you do your Christianity just to be seen by others, if that is your sole purpose in life, is to be seen as a holy roller by other people, particularly other Christians, then that will be all the rewards you will get. In other words, if your Christianity has just an earthly base, if your Christianity only seeks earthly approval, then that is all the approval you will get. And the implicature is is that you're not really saved. The implicature is, is that if you're only looking for earthly rewards and the approval of other persons who will perish like yourself, then you're not really concerned about God. Therefore, your religion is not really true. Therefore, on Judgment Day, you, I will be able to tell you, you have your reward. All the people applauded you. There is no further reward for you. There is a difference between time and eternity. There is a difference between heaven and earth. There is a relationship between the two. But heaven is heaven, and earth is earth. And I urge you to practice your earthly religion looking forward to heavenly rewards and not be so concerned with the here and now of what's going on here. Because if you get caught up with what other people think about you, and if you get so entwined with the earthly manifestations of your faith, then eternity will not make any sense to you whatsoever. And let's be honest, most most of us have a great difficulty just in understanding what's going on around us on a day-to-day basis. And if we can't understand that, then eternity itself is kind of a foreign language for us. But we're told that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we are told to strive for heaven. Heaven's one day closer, boys and girls, Ladies and gentlemen, it is one day closer. And sadly, so is hell. Saturday is gone. Today is today. Tomorrow may not get here. Today is a day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. And one of the ways that we show our rejoicement, I think that's a, a new term I just made up, is by prayer. Prayer is difficult, isn't it? How did your prayer let go this week? I think I asked you something similar last week, but it's along the same lines. I'm going to be digging into the Lord's Prayer starting next week in great depth. That's why we're doing separate readings in the Gospels. What is prayer? Simple answer is it's conversation with God. It's conversation with God. You will not hear audible voices. You won't hear God's audible voice. You will feel His Spirit moving within you and around you. You get the sense of God's presence. Is that mystical? Yes, it is. Spiritual things are mystical. We don't fully have our finger on the pulse of those things because we have a physical body. But you get the sense of the Lord's presence. But you should pray even if you don't have the sense of Lord's presence. As a matter of fact, on those moments when you don't feel His presence, is a time when you really should be praying. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's an offering up to Him of our desires with a reverent heart. With a thankful heart. With a sober heart. Prayer is... A child speaking to his or her father. When children speak to their fathers, they should speak to the fathers without fear, but with a great deal of respect and a great deal of humility. And those of us who are adults forget what it's like to be a child, to realize, oh, this big person has power over me. This big person me. This big person gives me my clothes. This per- big person will buy me things. This big person literally has power over life and death. And the same analogy works when we talk to God. We should realize he is the creator of heaven and earth. We are not talking to our next door neighbor. We are not talking to our best buddy. And when you hear the words, quite frankly, of many not all, but many um, contemporary type of Christian, I know you want to use the word hymns, choruses, the language is very um, irreverent. It's very familiar. When we're talking to God, we're talking to a being that's completely different than we are. We're dealing with an eternal being, the one true everlasting God. You're not he. I'm not him. He alone is he. And when we talk to him, we at best realize that we are dealing with a powerful and awesome God. Is he friendly to his people? Yes. Why is he friendly to his people? He is friendly to his people because he executed his only begotten son. That's the character of your God. If you can come to him safely, you only come to him safely because the blood of Christ covers your sin. Because if you were to deign to come before God without the blood of Christ covering your sin, you would be consumed. I would be consumed. He is not a God to toy with. He is not your best buddy. He is not necessarily the God who loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He may be all of those things. Jesus, what a friend of sin is! it's a fantastic hymn. But we are dealing with an eternal being who literally has the power of life and death. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, Don't fear those who can only kill the body and then can do no more. I will show you who to fear. Fear Him, who once He has killed the body is able to kill both body and soul in hell forever. That's, those are the words of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is telling us, that's how you should view your father. He's got the keys of hell and heaven. He has the power over life and death. If we're going to understand prayer, we had better get that straight right away. That we are not talking to our next door neighbor. And quite frankly, when you hear the prayers of some people, they really do sound as if they're just talking to their best buddy. And even though that's a common way of thinking of God, and even though we should be joyous in his presence, that sense of reverence, that sense of holy terror, that sense of reverential fear, is conspicuously absent from the vast majority of adult Christians in our culture today. Our prayers are not to be couched in King James English. We've all heard someone who, all of a sudden, when they start to pray, boom! All of a sudden, they're Lawrence Olivier and they're a Shakespearean actor, and everything is a thee and a thou and a thy and a thine. And they lower the voice. They go from having a tenor to a deep basso, a deep baritone, and they begin to speak in these uh, like Henry Kissinger type of tones, as if God is going to be impressed with their eloquence and their command of the English language. And, of course, he only answers to thy and thine. I'm being a little facetious here. If you want to use thys and thines in your prayers, feel free to. There's no, nothing that says thou shalt not do thys and thines. But don't think for one minute that just because you click into that prayer voice that all of a sudden the God of the universe is going to start listening to you. It's got nothing to do with the tone of your voice. It has to do with the tone of your heart. I've heard many prayers, and we can never get into someone's heart, but you can make a quick guess sometimes. If someone all of a sudden clicks into that King James English, it just sounds phony. It just sounds phony. It sounds great when you're watching Julius Caesar or Macbeth or a Shakespearean tragedy, but we just don't talk like that anymore. But, but, At least we know when someone is clicking into that King James English that they realize that they're talking to somebody different than their next-door neighbor. Our language does not necessarily have to be couched in Shakespearean, Elizabethan English, but it certainly should be reverent. It shouldn't be colloquial. We do not speak to God the same way we do our next-door neighbor. You don't speak to God the same way you speak to me. Or your children. Or your earthly father. You don't. You're not allowed to. Many people don't understand that. And that's the first thing we need to understand. Is that God is God and we are not. And when we speak to Him, we need to remember that. Are we created in His image? Yes, we are created in His image. But by definition, that means that He's God. We are not. So tread carefully. Tread carefully. Jesus says, don't think that you're going to be heard for your many words. The pagans had this idea that many words would arouse their pagan gods. Jesus is saying, don't be like that. So long drawn out prayers. Have you ever, has anybody ever been to a worship service where the pastor did a prayer that lasted almost 20 minutes? You know, the pastoral prayer. The reason why most Protestant churches can't get in three readings and a creed and a confession of sin is for two reasons. One, the sermon's going to be too long and the prayer is going to be way too long. Prayers are not supposed to be long. They don't have to be long. You don't have to make an extended argument in the court of God. God already knows your needs. He already knows your frustrations. He certainly knows your wants. And he knows your sins. So you can cut to the chase pretty quickly. Now we have to understand, we have to ask, why did the pagans do that? Why did they rebel in these long prayers? It's pretty simple. They didn't know any better. Now, if you're praying to a God made of wood, or a God made of stone, or a God made of metal, and you're expecting an answer from that God, and you're expecting a miracle from that God, you really have, now you have to do a lot of pleading. Because that God made of stone is deaf, dumb, and blind. God can't, that statue cannot hear you. And if you want that statue to get up and do a jig for you, and bring rain on your crops. You really, you really do need to do a lot of stuff to get its attention. Try it someday. Try speaking to that horse and see what it does. You can talk all day long, and it will just—it's just going to sit right there, unless you really have a lot of gusts and you can knock it over. When we're dealing with the living God, we don't have to arouse His attention. One of the great um, practical. Biblical illustrations of this is with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. He's having this great duel with these prophets of Baal. Baal was a bad god. He's a fertility god. A very attractive god. He had a wife called, huh? no, it depends on where you are, but Ishtar, Astarte. and a wife. And so when it came time to have the crops, you had to do all kinds of ceremonies to get their attention So that they would breed and that they would then send vegetation on the earth. Very popular religion, sadly, in ancient Israel. Elijah at the time was the only prophet in the northern kingdom that he thought of himself as speaking for the living God. Even though God had reserved 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. So he had this big showdown with the prophets of Baal. It's a showdown. He says, listen, let's do this. Let's build these big pyres, bonfires. And we'll see which god lights it up. Prophets of Baal say, oh, that's a good good, good idea. And Elijah says, you go first. I'll, I'll, I won the coin to ask you go first. They do it for hours. Nothing happens. No fire from the sky. Nothing. And they're... Crew jumping around, cutting themselves, and doing all kinds of uh, contortions to get the God's attention. The energy has got to be there so that the God can wake up. So then Elijah starts mocking, maybe he's asleep, maybe he's gone off on a journey, you better scream a little louder. So now he really starts you know, rev- revving it up. And if you've ever seen pagan worship, particularly in lands that are, for lack of a better term, more primitive, you see a lot of this gyrating. You see a lot of moving. You see a lot of jumping around. Why? Because it's animalistic. The God's not there and the God's not answering. So you better move faster. That's what we do, don't we? if you're speaking to somebody and it's an important situation and they don't know what you're saying, particularly if it's a foreign language, you start moving your hands. You start jumping up and down to get their attention. That's what they're doing in pagan worship. So then Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. Bring some water. Not because I'm thirsty, but just dump a bunch of water on this, on, this, on, this bond, on this wood for me.
1: A little bit more. Just
0: bathes the thing in water. He says a really quick prayer. Boom. thing lights up. Then he says, okay, line them up. It's party time. And he takes off their heads. That's old covenantal worship. I'll show you who God is. I'm going to burn this thing up and then I'm going to take off your head. But then, of course, Elijah is a man like us. He gets afraid of a woman named Jezebel and runs away. He does this great, mighty feat and he runs away from a woman who's just a a, a pagan. She's an awful woman. You see, when we're speaking to the living God, we don't have to run around and contort ourselves to get his attention because he is alive. Do you believe he's alive? Do you believe that he is hearing you, then why don't you pray? We'll get to that in a moment. But many of us ask, well, what exactly is prayer? How do I do it? What are the mechanics of it? Well, when we look at this, it says, you know, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. He says that, and we have gone here. But when you pray, in verse 6 of Matthew 6, but when you pray, Jesus is not saying if you pray, he's saying when. He's assuming that his people are going to pray. When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So Jesus here is first talking about private prayer. You go into your room, you shut your door. It's almost like that old show when I was a kid, Mac uh, Get Smart. He's walking through all those doors. Now I'm going to have that theme song running in my head for the rest of the sermon. Da, 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 something like that. You go into your room, shut your door, get on your knees, and pray to God who's in secret, your Father who's in secret, and He will hear you. This is about solitary prayer. We're not talking about family prayer yet. We're not talking about community prayer. We're talking about personal prayer. question is, I I were to give you a handout and ask you how many minutes did you spend in private prayer this week in in a situation like this. This is intentional, isn't it? This isn't while you're driving in a car. Now, there's no reason why you can't pray while you're driving in a car. You can pray anywhere you want. But this is talking about an intentional act where you go to a particular place and you shut yourself down and you shut everybody out and you're with God alone. How many of us do this? Not many. And we wonder why our lives are so arid. Why our hearts feel like deserts rather than an oasis. And then he continues. Not to use vain repetitions, we've gone over this. Don't be like them because they feel like they're going to be heard for their many words. Why? Why? Because your Father knows the things you have need before you ask Him. This is what I'm trying to get at. God is alive. And if God is alive and He knows what you need before you ask Him, then prayer, by definition, must be a vital, essential aspect of our covenantal life. But we don't do it. If we're honest, we don't. Is anybody here going to say that their prayer life, that they're content with it? Would you like to improve in your prayer life? Would you actually like to know how to do it? Why to do it? The why is pretty obvious. One, God commands it. Christ expects that we're going to do it. And another why is, hey, I have the God of the universe on the line. Why wouldn't I speak to him? Now let me just back up for a moment. You can pray to God anywhere. And at any time. You don't have to go to a particular secret place. This is another aspect of, of pagan worship. You have a little altar in your home. A special room where it's all you do is pray. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But most pagan, uh, all pagan religions do that because it's superstitious. They think that they go into that room. It's a holy place where the God will manifest himself or herself. Not realizing that God's everywhere. God's in the field. He's in the sky. He's right here. He's everywhere at all times. You don't have to have a special place with special statues and special incense and special clothes to pray to God. If you want to have a special suit jacket to um, get your mind in gear, it's fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But don't let it become a superstition. I encourage you to pray anywhere you are. And we do when things happen. If we see a horrific accident on the road, very often we will say, Oh Lord, you know, please, you know, let everything work out there, quick type of prayers. But when we analyze our prayers, what well, we often realize is that they're just requests. It's a list of wants from God. And what that reveals is that we really, at our deepest level, we think of God as a candy store. We think of God as an ATM machine. That we do certain things and we get certain returns. Pray X amount of minutes a day and I'll get X amount of return for my investment. That's not how we should view God. He is not there for our requests. We are to bring our requests to God, but prayer is much more than that. Prayer is much more than that. Prayer is holy activity. Just this week I was watching um, on the internet uh, a fairly famous author named Eric Metaxas who has written a couple of uh, very critically acclaimed biographies. One deserved a critical acclaim, the other didn't, but they've both been bestsellers. And one was on Wilbert Wilbert Force, uh, the father of the anti-slave movement in England. And the other one was on Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was a uh, German Lutheran pastor who was involved in the plot to Hitler. We know that that plot didn't work out well because Bonhoeffer was uh, hanged uh, at the Flossenberg concentration camp. But Mr. Metaxas was speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast this past February. That's a big gig. President Obama and his wife are right there, and he's speaking. He's a very humorous guy, and he made a bunch of jokes. His basic thesis was God doesn't want religious phonyism. He doesn't want fake prayers. He wants prayers from the heart, and he gives a little bit of his testimony. He was raised Greek Orthodox nominally. Then he went to Yale, and surprise, 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 he lost his faith completely at Yale. But then he had this job, and he joked around, and he said, the guy that was talking to me about Jesus was an Episcopalian, and I wasn't afraid of him because I knew that Episcopalians really didn't believe all that much. And uh, I was always thinking to myself, "Wow, well, if he had run into a Southern Baptist, he would have been in a world of trouble." But this guy actually did believe, and he spoke the truth to him. And Mr. Metaxas began to pray just a little bit, and he said, "My prayer for a long time was basically this: God help me. I really do need your help. God help me. I really do need your help." And he, Mr. Metaxas' point was that was a prayer that wasn't fancy. It wasn't religious. And it sure wasn't phony. I really meant it. I really did need help. I had to move back in with my parents uh, after college. My career wasn't going anywhere as a writer. And he said, frankly, I was depressed. So when I would go out jogging or do whatever, I would just say, God, help me. I really could use your help. That's a real prayer. Your Prayer doesn't have to be contrived. It shouldn't be contrived. It can be simply that. God, help me. I'm in trouble. God, help me. I'm scared. God help me, I am broke. God help me, I'm sick. God help me, my child is sick. My father is sick. My mother is sick. I don't have any money. I'm worried. I'm terrified. Those are honest prayers. But as we grow, our prayers should be a little bit more structured, they should be a little bit more complex, they should be more intentional. The prime example of a good prayer life is our Lord Christ himself. Here in his earthly ministry, we find him very often arising before dawn. And if you're not a morning person, you don't have to get up before dawn. We find him arising early, going off to a solitary place and praying. Now, if Jesus, who was sinless, felt the need to do that, to be intentional about his prayer life, then I think we do well to be intentional about our prayer life. And again, if you're not a morning person, you do not have to wake up before dawn. When I was a young Christian, I took this to heart and I said, you know what, I've got to, I've got to bust up before the break of dawn and pray. Do you know how much success I had with that? Not much. Have you ever got on your knees before God and fallen asleep? It's a lousy experience when you wake up and you realize, okay, I wasn't paying attention, God, in case you hadn't noticed, and I've, I've, I've dozed off to sleep. I'm not a morning person. I can stay up till 5 in the morning every day, every every morning. And then later I stay up, the less sleep I actually need. But it doesn't really work that way in the real world. If you're a morning person, wake up real early and pray. But I do encourage you to begin your day with prayer. Again, it doesn't have to be long. But you should begin your day with prayer. Certainly at least thanking God for bringing you through the night. With the good things that you know will be coming down the pike that day. Because if you're a middle class American, you're going to get all kinds of goodies during the day that most people never get. I know I say that a lot, but we really need to hear that multiple times during the day most of us are brutally unthankful for the largess that God has given us. Here's how you fix your prayer life. First, just think about who God is. Shouldn't you praise him? This eternal being who could manifest himself in all types of terrifying ways, but instead has shown you his love, grace, mercy, and compassion by executing his own son for you shouldn't you adore him and praise him? I encourage you to think of that acronym that we teach children, ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Supplication, by the way, is a fancy word for request. You can switch it around and make it CATS if you'd like, because many of us need to confess our sins much more frequently. But I encourage you to begin every prayer with an ascription of praise. Do not run right to the till. Don't run right to him with your request. He already knows it. Acknowledge who he is. Acknowledge who he is. You would do that with your boss. You would knock on the door first. If you were in the military, you would salute the commanding officer. You wouldn't just walk into the Oval Office and announce who you are. You would do it more formally. Now, what this does for us is it structures our thought and makes us realize, okay, I am dealing with a perfect, holy, eternal being. And if we were to really think of who God is, we would praise him a whole lot more. How is your faith? Is it weak? Your faith is weak because you don't focus on who he is. If you realize who he is, your faith will grow. And then, of course, confession of sin. That's always a good thing to do. Do you know how few churches have confession of sin in their literature every week? That is my phone that has just gone off. I have been placing notes on my iPhone that I hardly ever reference. And this week, I forgot to turn off the dinghy notice, and that is my sister-in-law from New Jersey, probably wishing me a happy Father's Day. I do apologize for that faux pas. It should be off by now. I don't even know why I look at the notes. I don't even look at them. Confess your sins to God. You're a sinner. And if you're saved, you're saved by grace. Thank him for that. And here's an interesting thing. The more you look at your sin, the more thankful you will be to God. If you really look at your life and really dig in, you realize, boy, oh boy, I'm really an awful mess. I really do all of these things. It's not not enough to just say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Will God forgive you? Yes, he will, but you won't derive a great spiritual benefit from it. It's important to sit down and think about your sin for a while and examine your life according to the Ten Commandments. Now, if that's too much for you, just go with the two big ones. The, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, that'll blister you enough. But when you really analyze it, and really think of all the words we say and the, the thoughts we think, you will be brought to your knees, and you will praise Him and thank Him for what He's done, and then you can request things from Him. And what will happen is you focus on who you are, as a sinner, and who he he is as this great God, your requests will change. You'll stop asking for watches and cars. You kids will stop asking for video games that you know your parents aren't going to get you. You're going to stop asking for all this fancy stuff, and you'll start to ask more for a holy life. You'll begin to ask God, could you please change me because I want to look more like Jesus? Prayer is a great gift, and as we dig into the Lord's prayer in the next, at least the next month or so, I encourage you to pray because God is listening. Pray, God is listening. He is there and He is not silent. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of prayer, and we acknowledge that we don't pray enough. And we ask, Father, that you would, as your disciples asked your son, teach us to pray for Christ and his covenant. Amen.